0: with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David
1: Biede.
2: Before the show began, David and I were taking bets as to whether or not Michael Horn would actually show up for this interview. And to just recap very briefly, David and Michael Horn, who is the authorized American media representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts, had a very spirited email exchange, and sometimes even more than spirited. But in any case, they had this exchange, and they agreed that Michael would come back on the show again, and that David would question him about his own research into things about the case that bother him. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. And we're looking forward to something that will cover the entire show that nobody's going to walk out in the middle of it, and we certainly hope that Michael Horn will stay for the duration and address our concerns. So, David, I want you to have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, wet your whistle, and get ready. <laughs> okay? I'll strap myself in, Gene. Well, if that might be necessary. <laughs> On this episode of the PowerCast,
1: I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
3: You're in the podcast of Gene Steinberg and David Badney. You never know what's going to happen next. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown? Things that go bump in the night? UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to conspiracyjournal.com or email Tim Beckley at UFO at webtv.net. It's all out of this world. And back
2: with us on the PowerCast is Michael Horn, the author authorized American representative for the Billy Meyer contacts. Since he was on the show, and I have to tell you this, David was not able to make it during the body of the interview. He had a personal conflict that he had to address, and he's here tonight to address his concerns. But we made a few general comments about the believability of the Billy Meyer contacts. And before we really progress with anything else, Michael wanted to say something about that. So go ahead, please. I've been researching the case for a little over 27 years,
4: but I've only been the rep for it for two and a half because I've spent the difference in time as well as the present time researching everything available in English. And I've taken the time and trouble to make six visits to Switzerland. I've known the lead investigators in the case, Lee and Britt Elders for 20 years and Wendell Stevens for just a little bit less than that. I want to establish first that I know the people, I know at least 20 or more of the witnesses in the case. Uh, the reasons gene just said why we're here is because there were statements made in the after effect of the first uh, show with me and in a prior show by david regarding the case and its uh, credibility or lack thereof in his opinion i simply made notes of some of this and i want to make sure that i am not going to misrepresent my understanding of david's position and what he said do i correctly understand the following in no particular order David has said that, uh, basically, this is a bunch of nonsense, Meyer, mm-hmm. this is crap, Meyer has fabricated all of this, he and his minions have fabricated, which means lie, about mm-hmm. the entire belief system, complete with surrogates for conventional religious, political, and spiritual frameworks, these are strange folks who are proving to be delusional at best, unscrupulous at worst, is that Absolutely. right?
0: Absolutely, I definitely said those things.
4: Okay, Meyer is lying. I'm a guilty accomplice. None of the attempts on his life were substantiated. And then one quote here that I think embodies for me uh, a little bit about this is uh, David said, quote, the claimed nighttime photos by Mr. Meyer are so absolutely obviously faked models. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're actually saying that this, these are anything but miniatures. That it's painful, Michael. Seriously, these photos are some, so completely faked. It's sad to read your words trying to establish that they are real. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay, so let me put a thought out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've also called, uh, you know, everybody here pranksters and what what have you. If I would say something outrageous and uh, in. Obviously, uh, that I I would never say, but if if it was said by me or anybody else that David Biedney or or, or Gene Steinberg or Joe Blow was a, heck, you know, a a child abuser. Oh, no, try spineless coward. A spineless coward. A uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, no, I think we should put it this way, just for <laughs> the sake of the. No, no. Let's let's be fair about
0: this. Well, let's be honest. It was
4: if I were to say that uh, David Vierne was obviously a cunning carnalist who rips off old ladies, abuses women and children with the help of an unseen band of accomplices, mm-hmm. I would say that Michael Horn had a responsibility to either put evidence and proof behind that or he would Mm -hmm. be slandering david and he would be liable for that i mean we don't have to talk legally here for in any sense of intimidation i'm just saying that that would be slanderous and liable unless i could actually prove those things if i did say however i've heard i think he may be this according to what somebody said i'd be stating an opinion is that an understandable difference between making a statement of fact and, and an opinion
0: um not exactly The things that I've stated have been couched in the context of, for example, I've never claimed to be a ufo researcher or investigator formally Michael you you've actually told me in an email and by the way I think for the sake of um, all disclosure on the Paracast forums I will be putting up all of the email exchange we've had I think it's very important because one of the things and in fact there's a little bit of of it up on there now one of the things and I opened my original statement my original email to you by saying and I'll quote this I'm reading it off of our website I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to speak directly on the Paracast while you sound like a decent, intelligent person, I have to say you've chosen to get involved with some strange folks who are proving to be delusional at best, unscrupulous at worst. So I think it's always important to give a statement like you've made. You made that statement. You quoted that. But I think it's important to see the context in which it was it was made. So um, to get back to the bigger question, I do indeed... Believe that what I have seen of your evidence, and again, I am not—I did not make comments about you. I actually went back and listened to uh, the show where I came on the end and wrapped it. And I think also Gene can verify this. My very first statement was, "I like listening to the guy. This guy—he sounded very intelligent, likable." So let's just get this, Marina. You know, let's get the tone set here, Michael. I think it's very important. As. Um, our listeners will be able to see the entire email thread between michael and myself will indeed be on the paracast forums for people to evaluate on their own to see how the language and how the tone of discussion has evolved during the thread i don't know that it makes sense to spend a lot of time on this now but michael you know to address what you were saying before it'll become i think very clear to our listeners that the very severe name-calling really began after that first email to you, which, by the way, uh, and again, this is something that's on the thread, I admitted to a couple of our listeners that perhaps telling you you should feel ashamed of yourself was a harsh statement on my part. And, again, that actually is documented on our forums on the Paracast website. So anybody can go and and read that.
4: And calling me a liar as well. So let me agree with you that let people read that but our issues Mm -hmm. would be much more about this case and exactly I have I have a question for you and I want to know when you when you interviewed Meyer why did you find him to be a cunning fabricator or a liar
0: I have not interviewed him we have not interviewed Billy Meyer
4: did you did you interview any of the witnesses absolutely not so you you've decided that the man is a liar and that he, his helpers are unscrupulous people as well I did you read Wendell Stevens well, book
0: whoa, whoa, well wait, hold me, on okay go ahead well you're just doing all the questions here okay. what I have done as I have looked at the body of evidence to a large degree that you have on your website and I also watched all of the DVD that you graciously graciously sent us so I, I can't claim to have spent years researching this case. Absolutely not. As I said, I have never claimed to be a professional UFO researcher. Right. I, I've uh, never made that statement.
4: Well, you did. You, since you made a statement that the man is a cunning liar, I have to ask you: since you didn't,
0: oh, you know, oh excuse me, I never used the words "cunning liar." Again, that's your terminology. Cunning. Those are your words. Cunning fabricator.
4: A fabricator is a liar.
0: I don't believe I've ever used the word cunning. Again, that's um, your statement.
4: If if you did use it, would you be withdrawing it at this time? Uh, no. If, so you are saying that you think he's a cunning liar. Yeah, you, you can be direct. I'm not tra- trapping you up here. You are, and I take responsibility for what we say and what we do.
0: Uh-huh. So That's right. You,
4: okay, so as
0: far as you're concerned... No, no, it, no, no. no. I, we take responsibility okay. for what we say and what we do. Yes. And after I have looked at, and specifically spent time in the last 24 hours, analyzing an image that Billy Meyer has put forward as being genuine evidence, Mm -hmm. and coming up with a clear indication that it it is a fabricated image, what would your response to that be?
4: Well, if you'll let me finish where I was going, I'm going to be happy to answer. There's nothing here in the case, David and Jean, that I will not give you my best answer. And it'll be up to Mm -hmm. everybody to decide if it's good or not. But my question, since you claimed... Let's not leave this thing because you have said something about a man that I happen to know for six years, whose Mm -hmm. life's work I've studied for twenty-seven. And uh, let's just say that you that it's fine with you. You called him a cunning fabricator or liar, and I have to ask you this: Did you read the book? four hundred and five hundred fifty two paid pardon me five hundred and forty two pages by Wendell Stevens which is called a preliminary investigation report
0: yes quite a while ago actually
4: did you read about the truth analysis testing including the testing of Billy Meyer himself on a stress analyzer along with yes I did 50? and were mm-hmm. aware of the fact that he passed as did every other witness tested truthfulness tests and this was done oh, I don't know 18 20 years ago whatever it was so just in terms of fairness when we say that a man is a cunning liar and that the people around her are unscrupulous and we have a record in the investigation and they didn't find any de- deception or trickery at all, that rather than simply say based on a photograph, and we will get to this photograph, this man is a cunning liar. I think that that isn't quite being fair to him, nor is it being fair to the other 120 plus witnesses, which include a retired U.N. diplomat named Pobol Cheng, and he was written on up in the New Delhi Statesman.
1: You've entered another dimension, you've entered the paracast.
2: In the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, we have Michael Horn making a return appearance. He's the authorized American representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts. Because David has had a rather extensive degree of correspondence with Michael between the time that the first show aired and the time that we're doing this follow-up, there's a lot of issues that have to be discussed. But I want to ask you one thing, Michael, before Mm -hmm. we proceed with this. And I think David has some other things. Number one is, if it can be shown that any substantial or even a reasonable proportion of Billy Myers claims such as his photographic evidence or his sound Mm -hmm. evidence are falsified Mm -hmm. that has to cast doubt on everything else he says so you look for deception evidence of deception in what he says or does so you understand part of the point here that if we can show or if David can show that certain things he says are questionable That's a reason to cast out on everything he says.
4: Well, that may be a little bit of an extension of logic that may not apply, and I'll tell you why.
2: Make the point, but David needs to get a chance to say something.
4: Surely. So if I say to you that it was reported in 1998 that the Swiss military air safety monitoring unit verified 236 UFO radar sightings right above Myers land, are you going to tell me that these are cunning fabricators as well and that they're lying?
0: If you do not provide notarized, authentic evidence in the forms of notarized documents, then all of your statements about all of your witnesses, I believe, can be called into question. In any court of law. by the way, given that you have decided or chosen to frame this in a legal context, I would point out that in any legal context, one would require either real, live testimony from witnesses, or acceptable notarized documents. I have seen or heard neither.
4: There are other things that are admissible in a court of law, copyrighted published information. And I'm sure, since you're speaking to me in legal terms and I'm not, you're familiar with the legal <laughs> definition of published. And um, Uh-huh. I would suggest to you that since we can get into that and to respond to Gene as well, if I can prove to you, as you put it, that Meyer published in documented published copyrighted books and unalterable documents specific prophetically accurate information in a wide variety of diverse fields, that legal copyrighted published information is also evidence. Is that not so?
0: Well, that also brings up the question of what country has granted the copyright. If the copyright notices are verifiable, I would submit that putting a copyright notice on a document and not having that registered with a copyright office is certainly not what one would call a copyrighted document. So again, this requires a certain amount of documentation that I would be happy to consider.
4: Well, what you need to do is to know that the books that were published by Wendell Stevens, the information was being translated by him between 1978 and 1982. He makes statements in that book uh, pertaining to his possession of information. And interestingly enough, such as in the Jupiter information from October 19th, 1978, he interestingly enough, doesn't refer to a certain aspect of the information in that case. That turns out to be pivotal in proving the authenticity of the Meyer case, and that is uh, the following: On October 19, nineteen seventy-eight, Meyer published a document, an unalterable document, in which he is in an alleged conversation with an alleged extraterrestrial in the presence of Jupiter, and he's reporting on the rings of Jupiter. He goes on to provide other detailed information from his observation, which includes not only what the surface terrain of the moon Europa looks like, which is encrusted in ice, but he he goes on to describe the moon Io. On March 9th of 1979, five months later, Wendell Stevens was carrying that document back to the U.S. where he would get a, a witnessing by O. Richard Norton, who was the director of the Flandreau Planetarium in Tucson at the time, and Major Rich, Richard Pestalozzi, U.S. Air Force, retired two distinguished incredible people. The reason that Stevens was keeping this document it was not particularly because of the Jupiter information but because of ten specific predictions about specific events that would take place in the world that were contained therein, only one of which had occurred at that time. three days after Stevens had those documents in his possession and returned to the United States on monday March 12th 1979, an announcement was made at NASA. They said that the following was the most important discovery. of the Voyager mission and that was that they had just discovered in looking at the photos that Io was the most volcanically active body in the solar system later on now a skeptic went to the trouble of sequestering himself in a University in Utah for a weekend online Lexis Nexus and everything else in hopes of debunking and showing that Meyer must have had access to this information The only thing he could finally come up with at the end of it was to say that obviously Billy Meyer, Wendell Stevens, and everybody else involved had hoaxed that information. When Meyer was having his first meetings in 1975 with what are called the official contacts, he was instructed that he was to number every sentence spoken to him by one of the extraterrestrials, and he questioned the reason for it. They said to him, we're going to give you information that is going to be shown to be accurate weeks, months, and even decades from now. And you are going to be accused of being a hoaxer and a fraud and all the rest of it. We're going to have you number every sentence that we speak so that as you're disseminating these papers and they're getting out into the world, when certain events take place long after you've already disseminated this, anybody and everybody will have the same sentence with the same information in the same place. Now remember, I said that Stevens in his book did not, not note the IO information if there had been a hoax here he probably would have waited so that he could say see Billy Meyer also got this most important thing now that's one way of looking at it but what I'm driving at here is this we have literally dozens and dozens and dozens of these types of things we have even new verified information on my DVD as you guys know I mentioned the coming riots to Paris and France from Islam now I made my DVD and had it on the market in february 2004 and i was referring to the already published information from 1981 and 87 by meyer where he specifically foretold actually an even even greater catastrophe where paris would be burned down which we hope will not eventually happen
2: fate magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown keep up with the latest on angels and miracles psychic phenomena ghosts ufos life after death and much much more To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
0: The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney.
2: You never know what's going to happen next. Folks, now, let me tell everybody, this is sure. the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to Michael Horn, the authorized American representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts. And I realize you've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, I'll stop. and. Let I you think go. David's got a lot to say now because we're, we're kind of running a field from the starting point of where we were. And I think we need to get back to it. David? One of the things I think needs to be underscored is that uh, when one talks about documents,
0: when one talks about making claims of documents existing, being passed around, uh, one simply has to substantiate this uh, to make these claims without, again, as I said, in the case of documents, um, notarized data documents, are really the only valuable information here um, descriptions of documents that we have not seen nor touched is uh, really just that you know we can talk about here say Michael, all we want, and in fact, um, when you know you were trying to harp upon the idea that I called Billy Meyer a liar well i 've got news for you. The President George W. Bush is a cunning liar. The people around him are just the same, they, they are guilty of the same, what I believe are crimes that he is. Now, you know, do I have the mountain of evidence in front of me of that? I think some things at this point, outside of the distortion factor of the media, are quite obviously self-evident. But really, tonight, what I wanted to focus on was what we can consider... Hard evidence. Um, yes. I have one, but I let you speak now. Please give me the same uh, the same grace. You're on your website. The thing that you offer as hard evidence, besides again documents that have I have no sources for them. I have no notarized verification that these documents existed in the time frame in which you claim they existed. But what I do have are some photographs that are on your website. That is what you are offering as evidence. Um, you are claiming that all of these photographs are real. And so, in order to be objective, and I think objectivity is something that we can certainly say is a goal here. And in fact, um, in your DVD that discusses the Meyer case, in the latter part of the DVD, DVD where you talk about all of these spiritual and um, other non-UFO-related topics that Myers covers, in a screen called "Making Progress." You do bring up the notions of honesty and objectivity. I do want to make a quickly reference a quote where you do state that, and this is your wording arguably, we in America almost pride ourselves in avoiding honesty and objectivity. I think that's a rather sad statement. I, in my personal life, try to sort of focus it on what I believe is the important vector of honesty and objectivity and in order to be objective I can't talk about things I haven't touched what I can talk about is a photograph that i've analyzed that's I can be honest and objective about and I think like as what you stated in the DVD this should be a primary goal for our discussion honesty and objectivity
4: then may I comment on what you just said because you led into that by saying that you cannot comment on evidence that you haven't touched. I'm going to suggest to you that since that evidence is in print and has been available to many, many people, that it is more your own responsibility to get your hands on those things. Thousands of people uh, possess that. If you want to say that because you didn't see me hold that document Mm -hmm. or those things, that it doesn't exist, then I say then there is no standard, real standard. Of proof, And this goes back to a criticism that really puts the Excuse skeptics-
2: me, one second, Michael. He's mm-hmm. not saying it doesn't exist. He's saying he's questioning the evidence of when this document was made, but that's well, still yeah. moving us away from the discussion, no, which is okay, he's looking at hard evidence at your website, and we're going to look at photographs. Okay. Now we're getting back to the same thing again. If he's going to be able to demonstrate, which he says he can, that some of those photographs, or at least the ones he's analyzed are questionable, that has to cast out a lot of the story. And that's something I asked you about before, which is if you see that one or two or three key elements of this story, which is hard evidence are shown to be false then that has to cast down on the rest of it and you can we can talk about the rest of it let's talk about the stuff right now Fine. that and appears to be questionable and let they me just ask you have time spend time let me ask
4: one question about the photographs conversely then am I to understand that if we have photographs that are authenticated that are shown to be real and films that are shown to be real and video that's shown to be real and sound recordings that are shown to be real and that an IBM scientist who analyzed metal samples was analyzing real metal samples and made a legitimate scientific conclusion of authenticity, how will we now evaluate the evidence in the case if we find there's real evidence? And let's just say you can find something quote-unquote fake. How do you now, uh, does it cast a doubt or does it say, well, because we have real evidence, we have to rule out Fakery.
2: What sort of logic is this? Yeah, if you, as the person who claims to be the American representative for Billy Meyer, are telling us oh, that there may be real evidence, but if we point to evidence that we could demonstrate is false, we shouldn't worry about this? I think it's a very serious thing to worry because again, we're we're trying to establish a very high standard of evidence here because Billy Meyer is claiming that he's in touch with intergalactic or interstellar beings, and he's got evidence supposedly of Mm -hmm. predictions of photographs of this craft, Mm -hmm. and if we can show that certain parts of that story and there's no way to, for one person to, to look over everything, and they shouldn't have to. They should look at the stuff that's presented as hard evidence, and that they can show that the things they're looking at are not true. It has to cast out on the rest of the well, story. Well, let's and that's proceed. What, and in that let's case, proceed. let's proceed with that.
1: You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
2: in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Michael Horn, the authorized American representative, media representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts. His website is www.theyfly.com. And now, let's give david the floor here because he didn't have it during the first interview he wasn't available david i want you to address the logic of false versus real evidence but then you have spent some time analyzing at least one of the photographs and i want before michael you go back with your response let david explain go ahead mm-hmm. i think it's important to establish in the case of any some anybody who
0: is analyzing data uh, professional qualifications i think that's critical in my own case as i said before i've never represented myself to to be an expert ufo researcher what i am is a world recognized expert in image processing special visual effects and advanced compositing techniques the documentation that supports the statement is extensive um, it's widely, <laughs> widely available to anybody who's interested, including, for example, having been the primary author of a book called Photoshop Channel Chops, which, which is essentially considered to be a classic reference work describing advanced compositing techniques, the exact kind of techniques that are used to fake photographic evidence. I also worked at Industrial Light and Magic doing special effects for motion pictures, including Terminator 2. The Rocketeer, Hook, uh, Star Trek uh, Six Generations, and a variety of other projects. So with that understanding, my expertise is in looking at images and understanding how they are constructed. This is something I am an acknowledged expert in. Specifically, I downloaded a JPEG file. Of an image that is being put out as official evidence by uh, FIGU. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Michael, F I G U. Mm-hmm. That's right. There is a, uh, there's a docu- an image that I sent to you, and uh, also this, as I stated before, will all be up on the Paracast website so that our viewers can come to their own conclusions. I'm simply going to present what I found using the interchannel processing techniques that I helped create in Photoshop. Um, so specifically, there is an image, a nighttime image, of a lit object hanging over some cars, which is supposed to be in front of Billy Meyer's house. Um, this is presented as an authentic image. And uh, the claim is that this this lit object was in the scene, with the cars and a picture was taken of it so that you know there's never been any representation on your part michael correct me if i'm wrong that this image has been fabricated or manipulated in any way is that correct that's correct Okay one of the most important things to realize is that there are certain types of visual artifacts that result from specific types of image processing techniques these are well-known well-documented artifacts and in fact in the work of visual effects production these are the things you try to avoid because they make the client unhappy and make the image look less less realistic than it should be given that the movie is supposed to convince people of its truthfulness at least the visual effects portion of the truthfulness. I looked at this image and my eye is trained specifically to find issues. And I immediately, without doing any processing on the image, realized there were some problems with it. So going into Photoshop, what I did, I took the downloaded JPEG, which I have to qualify is a compressed image. So already there is some image degradation that has happened, but that's okay because the issues with this image were actually jumping right out even given the compressed nature of of the photograph. What I did was I brought it into Photoshop and immediately separated the red, green, and blue color component channels. The appearance of brightness in those channels indicates the appearance of that color component in the overall image. Now, I've written extensively on the idea that when we look at an RGB breakdown of a digital image, what we can do is find specific strengths and weaknesses displayed by these color channels very specifically what i did was to consider the green and red layers or i should say channels of this image the channel most interesting to me was the green channel that's because in rgb color space the green channel contains the greatest amount of what we call high frequency information the english term for that would be detail and uh, taking the image into that specific color space looking at the green color component of the image it became clear to me that there were some very obvious problems the primary, well the two primary problems Underneath of the lit object in the scene, there are in the processed, sharpened, green channel of the image, which, by the way, was processed with a combination of levels, tonal optimization, and curves contrast optimization. I use different tools in Photoshop for revealing different parts of the information of channels. I actually use both of of these techniques to do two things. A to reveal a set of image detail underneath of the lit object that shows up as very identifiable, very visible vertical striations that are completely consistent with what is the visual look of folded fabric. So my postulation A is that this lit object was placed on a pedestal with fabric covering it so that there is no kind of a connection from above, no kind of a wire or string to have to remove or retouch out later. An important consideration in this is that this image is dated in the image 1979 which as we all know was prior to the invention of Photoshop by just about, actually just about ten years. So this image um, would not have been produced digitally if we're going to take that date into into you know, consideration, this would be done in an optical process, an optical image superimposition. Now, an optical image superimposition would leave a couple of clues, and those clues are what I looked for and successfully found if one looks at the green channel of this image and the version specifically that I adjusted the contrast of, and then also did a little bit further processing to bring out detail, what one sees is the following: Michael and Jean. And our listeners, if indeed my postulation that this was a miniature element that was superimposed on a nighttime scene is true, I would expect to find, very possibly, an edge, an edge of the piece of superimposed film that was sandwiched together and shot optically onto the background plate. Now, there are a variety of ways of doing this, but they all involve basically the same core technique, which is to take the piece of film that is what we call the foreground element, or the superimposition element, to place it on the piece of background film, and then to shoot the results onto a tertiary piece of film, whether it's negative or positive, doesn't really matter, the technique is the same. What this technique yields, though is a problem of an edge where, if the foreground element is shot at an exposure that is overall bright, this creates what we call a change in the black base of the image. In other words, the background, which you would hope in a good composite would be pure black in terms of the foreground element, has brightness values to it so that when you superimpose it on another image, you get a positive density buildup of the brightness, and what effectively you see in a visual sense is a very distinctive line that indicates where this piece, the edge of the superimposed film is. In the image that I analyzed, specifically one can see very easily that the lit object element, its brightness aura, it's essentially what we call its light cone, is chopped off in a very harsh, horizontal fashion, about 10% below the very top of the photograph. There is a very distinctive, perfectly straight, horizontal white line, which is, I postulate the very top of the piece of superimposed film. It's very distinctive. It is straight because a piece of film is indeed straight on its edge. If this were any kind of an effect that was actually generated in the scene, the shape of this would have been less regular, more entropic. Now, the piece of damning evidence here is that one could say, well, possibly there was some kind of a brightness shift done to the image at that point, maybe after the fact. The problem with that, and the reason I know that that is not what happened, is that there is a piece of wood on the left side of the frame from a building that goes all the way up to the top of the frame. In the image, the NR at the beginning of the text tag is actually superimposed on top of that piece of wood, indicating that the photograph, the background plate of the photograph, goes all the way to the edge of the top of the image the line that indicates where the edge of the superimposed film element is is below, again about 10 percent below the top of the image and you can see indeed that that does not affect the piece of wood on the left hand side. In other words And I'll just, I'll say something here, maybe I shouldn't, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. If I were faking this image, the one thing I would have done differently, there are a few things I would have done differently, but I would have actually cropped the image at that line. Essentially, the lack of care in fabricating this image left me the smoking gun detail. If the image had simply been cropped 10% lower then this smoking gun artifact would have not been there. This artifact, by the way, is not easily visible in the overall color image. One has to know about the amount of detail buried in the green channel, and one has to know to go to the green channel and enhance it in order to see this, which, as I said, this image will be up on
2: the Paracast website, and I will let our listeners determine what they are seeing. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine?
3: Yes, I sure can. This is UFO Magazine, and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher. And here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, Nineteen ninety-five for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast.
2: So, Bill, how do they place the order?
3: People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at one 888 MAGA, or they can write to us at post office box one one zero one three. Marina Del Rey, California, 90295.
2: Bill, give us that contact information again.
3: It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call one 888 U-F-O-M-A-G-A, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card.
4: This is The Paracast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. You never know what's going to happen next.
2: You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedny. We're talking to Michael Horn, the authorized American media representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts. Really? But what we've been talking about so far is David's concerns with photographic evidence. And what's going to happen now, we have a message forum system at theparacast.com. So you go to theparacast.com and click on the message forums. We'll have a place where you could see, number one, the correspondence exchange between David and David. Michael and also what David has discovered what to him indicates that we have a false photograph now David, did you want to conclude anything before Michael responds? Nope. I'm happy to take questions. Go ahead.
4: You will, I presume, be putting up the four photographs I sent you. Is that correct? Oh, sure. I assume you're going to tell everybody that all four of these are faked photographs. Is that correct?
0: I don't have to. I'm going to show that this specific image that you represent as authentic evidence uh, right. is indeed fabricated. Uh-huh. This specific image. I have not. I am not in a position to take the time well, to okay. process all 1,000 images. I don't feel I have no, to, no,
4: there are two specific photographs taken probably within moments of each other in this series in the mm-hmm. same location. Meyer shot these on a roll, you know, consecutively. Um, what would be required, in your opinion, to uh, set up a hoaxing? What's the mechanics of, of hoaxing this shot?
0: Some film and a dark room. Aha. Uh-huh. The investigation
4: of the case, conducted over a six year period of time, showed that Meyer neither had nor had access to a dark room for a very simple reason all of his photographs and films were sent out for processing to a known lab in zurich this was in some cases personally witnessed and handled by the investigators themselves now if that would require a dark room, and if we have two photographs one of which you're kind of not wanting to address which looks like well, just might be
0: authentic no question of a double exposure we have oh, to, no no there's question of double exposure in all of these nighttime shots I see.
4: so you're going to be able therefore to show us how this double exposure was done, because you've got a lovely sounding, uh, you know, debunking theory, and we've got, of course, four photographs here taken by a one-armed guy in 1979 with a 35-millimeter camera, and strangely enough, which you neglected to mention, is we have a witness to the sightings of these objects. We actually, I think, have two witnesses, and I sent you a document of that, which I hope you'll also
0: put up on the website. Uh, no, there's look, no notarized document that's been sent to us.
4: Look, you want to do the notarized document thing? we actually have a book with notarized Documents, but since you you're running that kind of a thing and snickering about it, then well, allow, I have to. I, I well, have to allow,
0: laugh, Michael.
4: Allow me then to laugh a little myself. Okay, go right ahead. All right, just so people understand a little bit about the photographs in the Meyer case, they were examined not only by David Biedney here, and I'm not speaking about all of them because David's only looked at one. Eric Eliasson from the U.S. Geological Survey who created image processing software so AstroJaws can analyze photographs of planets being beamed back from space, he happened to look at the Meyer photographs and his quote was in the photographs there were no sharp breaks where you could see it had been somehow artificially dubbed and if that dubbing was registered in the film the computer would have seen it. We didn't see anything. We have also Robert Post who ran the JPL photo laboratory for 22 years and who actually had both positive and negative things to say about the Meyer case. This is what Robert Post said. I think his credentials are okay, don't you? From a photography standpoint, you couldn't see anything that was fake about the Meyer photos. That's what struck. They looked like legitimate photographs. I thought, God, if this is real, this is going to be really something. Wally Gentleman was one of the directors of special effects for Stanley Kubrick's 2001 He was on the Canadian film board for 10 years, and he viewed not only Myers' photos, but his 8mm film segments. So he said the following, and I'll quote him, My greatest problem is that for anybody faking this, referring to one of the photographs, the shadow that is thrown onto that tree is correct. Therefore, if somebody is faking it, they have an expert there. And being an expert myself, I know that that expert knowledge is very hard to come by. So I say, well, and let's remember also that Michael Mallon, who I'm sure you know about if you know anything about NASA, Michael Mallon is very well-known, principal investigator for the Mars Orbiter Camera on NASA's Mars Global Surveyor spacecraft, he said the following, I find the photographs themselves credible. They're good photographs. They appear to represent a real phenomenon. The story that some farmer in Switzerland is on a first-name basis with dozens of aliens who come to visit him, I find that incredible. But I find the photographs more credible. There are reasonable evidence of something, what that something is, I don't know. But if the photographs are hoaxes, then I'm intrigued by the quality of the work. How did you do it? I'm always interested in seeing a master at work. And finally, in terms of quoting photographic people, I did indeed visit with Folker and Mark at Uncharted Territory. For the listening audience, they are the Academy Award-winning uh, owners of the um, the company in Charter Territory, which won the Academy Award for Independence Day. Now, I showed them Meyers' photos, and I showed them especially Meyers' film and video, which I think we do have to get to, in the presence of film producer Charles Bender, the co-producer on the film Solaris. They said, those are not models. We know models. And I said, if you could duplicate this, meaning the films, what would you have to do? And they said, we have to go to CGI. We can't duplicate those films with models. When were they taken? I said, between 75 and 78. And they shook their heads and they said, no, not models. So what I'm going to say to you, uh, David, at this point, I had challenged in the past the major skeptics, such as James Randi's organization and CFI West and IIG, because they, too, had said Myers' photos are an easily duplicate. Well, they, to their credit, took my challenge to duplicate only one of Meyer's photos and one of his films. That was in 2001, and in 2004, when I was appearing on the Art Bell show, uh, one of the skeptics called in, and he was complaining that he wasn't getting a real good treatment there. So Art Bell said, well, why don't you do the follow? Submit your photos, your little six photos, to the same standards of testing that Myers were subjected to in authenticating them. So what we're saying here for your listening audience is there were a great number of Myers photos, especially from 1975 on, that were subjected to very rigorous testing standards with specific parameters by professionals in labs in addition to the people who I just quoted. Okay, Michael,
2: I think we're getting beside the point here. David Biedney is a professional. He's a recognized professional in this industry. He's also been a specialist in motion picture effects. He has made specific statements about this particular photo that he analyzed.
0: Which which I'm not not done making my statements about. I've only pointed out
2: one Uh, Right, and so far All I've responded here with Michael is that other people say other photos are genuine. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. Let's talk about this one. And then if if we can talk to the people, maybe we'll look at the other ones. But right now, let's look at the issue at hand because we're going far away from it. And uh, David is not finished. You've
1: entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
2: Let me just tell oh, okay, our bye. listeners, bye. you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're talking to Michael Horn. I should tell our listeners also that if you go to theparacast.com, we have a forum which I've renamed. It's in our general discussion forums, Michael Horn and the Billy Meyer contact, so people can find it, and a lot of information will be posted there. David, you actually never finished your comments about this photo, and I think we really got to focus on it. So, David, finish that, and then we'll ask for Michael's response. A couple of other comments about
0: the analysis of the photograph. One of the things that is consistent in the two specific shots of this object that Michael uh, sent is that the house that is on the right-hand side of the frame has a light artifact that is completely unnatural and is also... A typical artifact of a, an optical superimposition. There is a very distinctive bright light, um, bright white edge, where the um, what is supposed to be a brightening effect from this object in the actual scene is supposed to be occurring. When one looks at this um, visual artifact, one sees that the brightening of the panel of the house that we're looking at ends in a very abrupt way that does not conform to any actual structural portion of the house at that point. A very interesting telling sign of that is that about halfway down this line, and again on the website, we will show detailed versions of these images so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. There is a transparency in the superimposed brightness that allows the underlying building to show through another artifact that would never ever be seen in a genuine photograph. It's a clear sign of a superimposition.
3: What I find
0: more interesting than that, though, is that if we see the cars in the scene, and we are to believe that this incredibly bright object is hanging above them, we should reasonably be expecting two things we should expect to see that light be reflected on the hoods of the cars and on the glass that's facing up where this object physically in the picture is directly overhead. We would see very bright light reflections in the hoods of the car in the windshields of the car, in one car the car is facing forward and we see the front windshield the car in front of it is facing to the left so we see the rear windshield neither of those windshields nor the roofs of those cars nor the hood of the the background car show any kind of brightening that would be completely consistent with an extremely bright object theoretically hanging overhead along those same lines that extremely bright light source above the cars would be casting a clear shadow Directly below the cards, which would be obscuring that light, those shadows are not present, indicating to me, again, that this specific image is an optical superimposition. As I stated before, and I'll just wrap up my description with this, the top line of brightness, again, given the fact that it is present and shows the light cone of the object being cut off in a harsh way, is an absolute clear indication That I am happy to submit to any photographic expert or otherwise to verify that this is indeed an optically composited superimposition of what I believe is a smaller scale object shot on top of a draped. Fabric-draped pedestal, and superimposed in the scene. I stand by my analysis.
4: All right. Now, allow me. You said it's a superimposition. Doesn't that mean that it was imposed, the effect was imposed on a photograph?
0: Superimposition can occur in camera. It can occur in a dark room. Superimpositions, by the way, when they're done in camera, they're done all the time. And, in fact, it's an old tried-and-tested technique for doing effects on the cheap in a motion picture if you don't want to do post-processing to create an effect. So actually, the process of superimposition can be done in camera. The reason that I say that this was not done in camera specifically is the artifact of the top of the superimposed foreground piece of film that is clearly visible in the green channel of the image. Again, it's clearly visible.
4: Okay, I'm going to speak to you now about the photograph right next to it. Because as I wrote to you, and I haven't said this on the air, I think that there's a possibility of double exposure in the object you're talking about in that photograph. But I'm going to have to still say, of course, we have an object there now. Let me point out two things, since you, you did take a little bit of time, and that's fine. We do have a nighttime shot. We agree on that, don't we? We have a nighttime
0: shot. We have a what nighttime way? background plate. Uh, we
4: have a, Okay, a nighttime background plate somehow with lighting, whether you think the lighting is exactly the way it should be. We have lighting on the tree in back. We've got some lighting on the cars and on the ground, and indeed on the house in back. And certainly in the, in the shot that I think is the cleanest of the two that makes the best case for, well, I think the other... A photograph can make a case for double exposure I think there's no question in my mind that I'm not a photographic expert but I'm looking at a photograph at nighttime and I'm saying if you are going to tell me that this is a small object shot and superimposed somehow which you have yet to explain it's superimposed on a black on a background shot at night except we don't have a full nighttime shot we've got an illuminated nighttime there's no uh, question but that there is light being shed on all these objects. And the objects, uh, the one Um, Kind of bathtub-looking glowing object is one source, and the other disc, which was reported, there were two of them, is what they said that second light source was up to
2: the right. All right, so I take it then that you are not disputing what David said about the other photo.
4: I think the other photo could be uh, a double exposure where Meyer might have clicked camera very quickly.
2: No, no, no. no. The double exposure he's Mm -hmm. talking about is one negative being placed over the other negative, which is done in an enlarger or something like that. Okay, that that. Specifically, check- no, that, he's not talking about Meyer making a mistake with his camera. He's talking okay. about a clearly deliberate effort to fake a photo. That's what he's right, talking about. All right, so
4: let me, let me come back to it. In that, in the correspondence via email, David told me that this was a fluorescent light, in effect, that was set up, and that the other light source was a, quote-unquote, lamp oh, 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 on a pole. Oh,
0: oh, Michael? As I pointed out in the emails, you specifically use the term fluorescent light. I never did. You Fine, Would you that. like
4: to, then, if I misunderstood, would you kind of tell us just what kind of a light that is that is used in this case and that produces that type of brightness?
0: Are we talking about the uh, the object that's reported to be a ship? Yes. Oh, any number of ways to create an object that would glow in that way. Any number of materials that could be used. Thing. Oh, anything from. Taking a standard light fixture and modifying it modifying. to to yeah absolutely modifying it to playing around with its enclosure to simply building something if you look at what this shape is I certainly would not call it a sophisticated shape it isn't there are any number of techniques that could be used to create such a shape, and certainly any number of ways to light it from within. That is actually fairly trivial.
4: But you'd like us to believe that in 1979, for no particular reason or gain, among the photographs of 1,200 or so taken by this man, he was able to go outside at night and work in in a as yet undetermined location. You have already posited what the materials were, et cetera, et cetera, and for unknown reasons, and create these types of photographs, there's actually four with the alleged light ship in it. So I'm going to offer you a, a suggestion, and it's one that I've been trying to offer you for some time via email. Um, you've made claims just like CFI West did. So I presume that you're able to duplicate that shot with the known equipment used by Meyer at the time without resorting to a, um, a darkroom.
2: For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown, Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com, what are you waiting for? Your fate awaits.
4: You're in the
0: Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen
2: next. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop, stop. Before we get into that particular aspect you've just raised let me tell everybody you're in the power cast with gene steinberg and david beginning we're talking to michael horn the authorized america media representative for the billy meyer contacts his site is theyfly.com. dot com and what david is saying here is that based on his analysis this is what the picture is it's not our concern is not whether billy meyer had a dark room in his bedroom or in his basement or he handed it to somebody else to do it that's irrelevant he's analyzing the actual evidence without worrying about how it was done he's just pointing out that this is how you could do this particular thing and these are the flaws that he sees he's pointing out specific obvious flaws I have a copy of the photographs here I've seen exactly what David did I have a copy of his images I've opened them up in Photoshop on a 23-inch bright LCD display and I'm seeing what he sees so I can tell you that I understand what he sees and his reasoning for it but right now you're not really addressing that okay you're saying how could he do it I don't care well, wait a
4: minute. Uh, hold on. Uh, you guys were the ones that brought up this kind of legal conversation. You're floating a theory, and it's a very nice theory, and you're saying you're an expert. Now, if we were, in a, as you said before, in a court of law, we would bring another expert, and we'd say to him, such as uh, we might bring up the investigators and say, we understand that uh, Meyer is accused of actually having accomplices complicit, especially in these remarkable photos, which either have to be real and mind-boggling or hoaxes, as Mr. Biedney claims. And the investigation Investigators are going to say, well, we, we, we were there for six years. We sometimes personally sent off the films ourselves. We were there when the photographs came back. We know that Meyer didn't have a dark room. We've been all over that place since we got there. He didn't have a place where he was machining models. His kids made him a couple models, but we were the people that brought over the professionally made models for photographic comparison in these photographs, not the specific ones we're looking here. And we can tell you with certainty that Meyer neither possessed the technology nor the skill nor the resources economically to have faked all this. So we're, we're, we appreciate Mr. Biedney's um, analysis, but, you know, if it ain't so, maybe the analysis isn't exactly right. Maybe. Uh,
2: uh, uh, David,
0: explain. Michael brings up the issue of motivation. Why would, and Michael keeps referring to this gentleman as a one-armed farmer, um why would this one-armed swiss farmer want to do this i would like to quote some text from michael horn's dvd on the Meyer case where we are presented as i said um, with a very overall theory of human behavior at the very end it talks about not ufos but specifically human psychology and human behavior this is in the dvd i would like to specifically quote the slide that begins with the following statement The way things are. Not the way we think things are, or our theory about the way things are, but the way things are. The next screen says, this isn't really about UFOs and extraterrestrials. It's about our future and our survival. Mm -hmm. Now, if we look at that, which, by the way, one of the things that I have said on the previous episode, and I'll say again now, is that what I find worrisome about this is that clearly a great amount of thought has gone in to whatever it is that this Billy Meyer claim is, there's been a lot of thought coming up with ways to construct what I specifically said were surrogates to religious, intellectual, and para-science thought. Very specifically your wording, Michael, and Billy Meyer's documents position Billy Meyer as a prophet. That is your term, not That's mine. That's correct. That's absolutely right. right. Okay.
4: So let me respond. If I made it, what oh, you're just no, saying. I'm, I'm not done. Oh, okay.
0: When you postulate that someone is a prophet, one has to create a belief system for this prophet. This is a standard set of mechanisms in creating cult-like groups.
4: Not at all. Not at all. We have prophets all over our world. We call them weathermen. We call them uh, astronomical engineers. We call them uh, scientists, and we call them uh, financial analysts. A prophet, David, means somebody who correctly foretells. You don't have to have a belief system. As a matter of fact, belief systems have been the poison of our world for thousands of years. A prophet is someone who understands the laws of cause and effect and can correctly predict or prophesy an outcome that will will occur based on the laws of cause and effect unless human beings change the action or the behavior surrounding it. Please do not start associating this very irresponsibly with cults and belief systems. There is no belief system. There is no cult. There's no membership in cult and recruitment, etc., And you you jumped into that from something that I thought you, you kind of glossed over a little bit when you were criticizing. You said, why, Meyer? I wasn't raising a why question. I was raising a how question. And you positioned yourself as an expert. You also positioned yourself as an expert when you said that the sounds in the Meyer case were, and I quote you, a blatant use of vintage analog synthesizers. Any true audio expert recognizes analog oscillators, filters, and delays. It just so happens that I'm an experienced synth guy. What you said there in Mm -hmm. the same confidence is contradicted by analysis at the Naval Undersea Labs and at Excalibur Sound Studios, and one of the simple facts which you're apparently unaware of is that the sounds on those recordings that you think are analog and you said were done with the Moog synthesizer,
0: one of the it might have been an ARP, it might have been a Sequential Circuits ARP. I'm sorry, okay. that was less than technically accurate.
4: The, okay, yeah. so mm-hmm. a, do they produce sounds in the inaudible range? Absolutely. Uh uh-huh. and those sounds are recorded sounds, right? Absolutely. So you, and how many uh, in in the 1980s, how many sound emitters did the average synthesizer
0: have on it? Sound emitters as an oscillators? Yeah. Oh, well actually that would depend on the specific configuration. A um a Moog modular synth could well depending on how many modules you threw on it, oh it All could right. have 30, 40 oscillators.
4: Well, when the when the, when the uh, science and sound experts were examining, and we have a free sound analysis document where you can read it, they found out that the sound type of systems that were available that they could compare as synthesizers for reproducing the sounds in the Meyer case had what they said were f- four sound emitters. They would have required for those systems thirty-two. For the 32 simultaneously interfacing sounds, about 8 synthesizers. The problem was that all of the sounds in those frequencies, in the 24 audible and 8 inaudible sound ranges, would were continuous as well as running up and down the, the hertz range from 4 hertz to 2150 or whatever. All of this exceeded the capabilities of Meyer since he didn't even possess a Moog synthesizer and the 15 other witnesses in the open field saw no physical equipment and the people a mile and a half away that came when the sounds were being broadcast including an undercover policeman saw no equipment and so when the sound recordings were analyzed and they were scoped at X ex- at Naval Sea Labs and another sound studio in San Diego, they found that there was no known sound generating source on record that any of them had for it, and yet they could tell that it was a rotating device. They could identify three airplanes that flew by during the recordings, and they found that it was absolutely impossible that Meyer could have plugged anything into a tree or a cow out in the field and created the sounds. That's part of the investigation. You claim, well, I don't have a documented copy. It's been published already. And this is part of why I'm not jumping into your camp with this. I genuinely think that if you, since you floated, not just the theory, but you're telling me that this is definitely a hoaxed photograph. And Meyer, and you've Mm -hmm. already said that this was done out of camera. We already know that Meyer had no dark room.
1: You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Hold on, Michael. Michael,
2: Let me just Mm -hmm. have to break for a second. Tell our listeners you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We've got Michael Horn, the Authorized America Media Representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts. His site is theyfly.com. And if you go to theparacast.com, you will read in a special forum, which is named Michael Horn and the Billy Meyer Contacts, a lot of the Discussion. David, now, you made some very specific analyses of those sounds based on what you heard, what you downloaded. And actually, yeah, Just I, I want
0: to get back on the profit thing for a moment because Michael did change the subject away. Okay. I'm happy to but be- actually, to, to address the audio component, right? the specific module on a Moog modular synthesizer that is designed to modulate a sound through the frequency range is called the Bode Frequency Analyzer. A Moog modular synthesizer, one of the whole points of a modular synthesizer, is that you can use things like low frequency oscillators to cross-modulate things like frequency analyzers, frequency generators, uh, voltage controlled amplifiers, voltage controlled oscillators, positioning a sound that has evolving timbral structures throughout its frequency range and claiming that there's no way to recreate That specific audio effect is simply not true.
4: So so you're telling us that this simple one-armed farmer in 1976, along with 15 witnesses in an open field on four occasions, in addition to being a genius for his time and place, special effects expert and digital processor or whatever, uh, he happens to also be a genius sound engineer because he can make those sounds that a Moog can make, simply by taking a cassette machine into an open field in front of witnesses. And he can have that cassette tape handed over to three different top-level recording studios, David, and it's going to come up on scopes, and they're going to say, we can't duplicate this without the use of synthesizers, and we can give you all the reasons why we can identify the planes in here, and the hertz range was this, thus and such, and then there was decreases Mm -hmm. of 40. Uh, So we're going to...
2: we're you depending know, I, michael and please we were depending on taking their word for it no we're okay. not we're yes d- we we're depend- are we have the word of the people who claim to be witnesses we have the word well, let of me the, meyer okay. hold on there's no, a specific no, no. well there's a specific
0: thing you just said which is that these sounds were delivered on an audio cassette That's and correct. the analysis was done on sounds from an audio cassette i submit that taking the limited frequency response in any analog cassette, regardless of the tape type, whether it's whether it's uh, uh, metal tape, chromium tape, or standard ferrite tape, I submit that the idea that one could, in a reproducible way, show frequencies that were inaudible coming off of an analog recording is actually physically impossible. The audio cassette does not have the frequency response to record anything outside of a subset of the audible range of sound. Well, I said you, the very
2: same thing to him at the original statement on yes, the other interview we did. You didn't read
4: the sound analysis and and in uh, Stephen's 542 page book, he said and I am not a sound engineer, I mean I've been in recording studios for 40 years but I'm not an engineer he said, we were able to ded- deuce the other sounds in the other ranges from overtones produced, which read and registered certain things, they have an explanation for those sounds. Now, if you want to be condescending towards it, you're having us, you want us to believe that we have a man here, a one-armed guy with no money, no resources, who for 64 years has been having experiences that he has been able to verify he's got no, no. Plus no. I No,
2: no, no. I understand your point. What we're saying is here that we would assume, for the sake of argument, you could, because it's just your word against their word, no, and that it, kind of thing. No, it, it isn't. You're assuming here, Michael, that nobody helped him. Well, I don't you, know his, no, no. the range of his knowledge, well, but I minute. would assume that if this this sound was done in the way that David says, someone helped him. I so would assume are, that if the photograph was done the way David suggests, and there we have. I'm looking at a photograph which shows the artifacts that David mentions that he had help he didn't do it himself maybe one of his followers did it for him
4: followers so you're going to tell me that based on your assumption and your suspicion and your accusation in the face of the fact that we even have some of the sound analysis on film in the laboratories done that you have a a, a team of professional people who went and actually did the research and you want to say because we didn't see it and we haven't looked at it you why don't you just invalidate 95% of human history no, because you did not witness that, it you don't have we
2: don't and, have to witness it. We have only, ah, the evi- we have to go by the evidence, the evidence that is
1: provided.
2: Is we're look, we're it's analyzing provided. the evidence tonight. Michael, we're analyzing the evidence right now. Did we've you taken a the photograph, excuse me, we've taken a photograph, for example, and for this example. photograph is shown to be very, very questionable. So your argument is how could he have faked it or look at another photograph? Well, we've got that photograph and we have a photograph that does show evidence of being faked. Now we Accorded. can't get around that. No, it's because no, based on an That's expert an opinion. who. No, That's based on expert opinion. Okay. Oh, an expert opinion, please. We,
4: that's wonderful. But I, I read you four or five other expert
2: opinions, and you,
4: you don't seem to want to give them any credence. You know, uh, I know that David knows who Volker and, and Mark are. And I know that when I t- tell you that they said when they looked at Myers films and video, and of course, on the DVD, you have a video of Myers zooming three to five hundred feet in on a UFO, which for some reason you haven't brought up yet to attack and which you cannot duplicate. I will tell you that right now, not with a, a video camera in an open field and we have photographs of that particular craft up close and at varying distances up to 500 feet, you want to tell me that you have one quote-unquote expert opinion, which is only an opinion. An opinion that the man
2: refuses to substantiate by demonstrating it. You go into a... He quote, already motion. did demonstrate. He took no, apart he that he- photo. Excuse me. He took apart the photo and he showed you exactly what the artifacts are that show evidence of something. And all you're saying and- is, my experts show a different conclusion. How could Ah. he faked it, and the answer to that is that I'm looking at what David shows me, and until David sits with the other experts, we'll all sit in one room, and maybe we'll come up with a conclusion, but today, I depend on David because I know he's a recognized expert in this field, okay? And because so of that, and I know also he has no axe to grind to disprove any particular case. He has seen uh. UFOs, okay? He has seen them, and to get photographic evidence that would demonstrate that UFOs those are real. He would love it. He would just love the occasion nothing that. Nothing would make me happier. David, well, I think nothing. at this point, we got a sense of what Michael's point is here. Number one, that other experts disagree with David. Number Absolutely. two, how could the one-armed man have done it?
4: And you only have theory at this point with and as opposed to people who have literally gone and investigated every aspect, who have published their findings, this is not hearsay. You have They have tested these things at JPL and NASA. You USGS, you've got a physicist like David Froning, a published astrophysicist, 25 years in military and uh, defense industry, who said that he and his compatriots have calculated hyperspace propulsion speeds, but Myers appear to be correct. They have made... They may have made uh, breakthroughs in their own understanding from Myers' information on hyperspace propulsion, and he, whoever is advising him is very knowledgeable. And okay, I'm supposed to. Okay, I'll tell you what. We're please. running
2: out of time here, Michael, and I'm giving you a lot of chance to express your point of view. You've
1: entered another dimension. You've entered a Paracast. One question have. of David. One one only one okay, question. Okay,
2: before David. I do that, sure. before I do that, this is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David B. We have Michael Horn, the authorized media representative in America for the Billy Meyer contacts at www.theyfly.com. Also go to theparacast.com, theparacast.com for a lot of our comments. You had a question that I'm going to give yes. David the chance to fully respond to it. Go ahead. Surely. On the DVD, where
4: the video in question, where Meyer zooms across the the field can you duplicate that with a video camera in an open field and an object that's 14 feet in diameter metal suspended
0: apparently by nothing metal suspended um Mm -hmm. actually that footage shows a flat two-dimensional object completely motionless in front of a tree
4: (laughs) a two-dimensional object that's a precise and that's being the same object that's in the photographs that are on my page about meyer hoax exposed you're you're telling
0: me that that the wedding
2: cake photo that's correct.
0: Right. That's um, correct. The, those nighttime photos of the wedding cake image, which I, I think it's fascinating. It's called the wedding cake image. I think that's actually very reflective of the reality of it. Those. Fo- Let me finish, please. Thank you. Those photos are clearly fabricated. Those, the, uh-huh. the wedding cake image, the supposed car, and the supposed tree are obviously miniatures and I'll tell you why I know that. One thing that any visual effects expert knows is that any object of any significant scale will be affected by atmospheric density. In other words, air is not perfectly transparent, air contains particulate matter in it that decreases the visibility of objects in real space, in a real context. When objects are physically located in the space with spatial relationships where there are foreground and background elements, one sees the appearance and the presence of atmospheric density. In looking at what you are now specifically referring to as the nighttime wedding cake photos. The No, oh. no, no, no. You brought up the nighttime photos of the wedding cake image.
4: That's okay but I meant the daytime ones where the well, uh, you have closeups the gonna... on them in broad daylight uh, and you also, you're correct about the air the around. And one of the factors in the analysis of the photographs that is in the free photo analysis document was that they happen to have authenticated Myers photos using edge enhancement and all of the haze and color contouring types of things that, that, that occur. So when, when you talk about that as something that would discredit Myers photos, uh, that is what proved Myers photos real. There is a very lengthy uh, photographic analysis that is freely downloadable and open up, and you can refer to it, they go through many, many, many levels of exactly what type of technology was applied. And when they brought the, the, the special effects manufactured UFOs over and took the photographs of them, they had exhibited none of those characteristics because they were small objects close up to a camera. So I will sign on 100% to say that all of these parameters for authenticating photographs uh, should be and were applied in the Meyer case, and they're very, very well Uh, detailed and documented. If you think that that object, the wedding cake object, uh, is a hoax whether it's in the photograph, film, or video, I challenge you as I've challenged the rest of the skeptics to build a model and do it. Theory is nice, it means nothing, and snickering about it is not very credible. All right. Again, David, I, I have, to, I we have enough
2: know. time here just mm-hmm. for David's response because yes. we're just about out of time with the show, and it's gone that fast. It Really has. So, David, I'm going to let you have the last word because we obviously Michael had plenty of time on the previous show. We want to give you one more chance to respond to what he says. David, I posed a challenge to Michael in the emails, and I'll pose it now on the air. Okay.
0: If uh, you want to present to me what I would consider credible evidence, I have one request because you're asking me for a lot of stuff, you're asking me to duplicate a lot of stuff so I think given that you've asked me to duplicate a lot of things, you've asked me to prove that one of your pictures is fake and I fully feel that I have objectively and scientifically done that. I submit to you the task, if you would, but it's not a task, it's a request, I'm not going to demand this of you. I have proven what I believe one of the pictures to be a clear fake. If you want to convince me that there's any truth to the Billy Meyer claims Show me a craft moving through the sky, landing, so that I can see the underneath of this thing as it touches the ground. Not something stationary that's easy to fabricate or to fake. Show me an object that is moving through the sky, landing, and given that the creatures, the aliens, don't want to show themselves to us, their faces, for whatever reason, let Billy come off the ship so that I can have clear irrefutable evidence of the appropriateness and reality of the scale and then we will have something to talk about.
4: We have almost all of that and I think you know that that exists that on the uh, reel of the eight or nine film segments and you can see on James Zierdorf's site he actually has this. There is a, a disc that hovers in the sky and then moves without any cuts to a remote hill approximately a quarter mile away and dips behind the hill and then comes back up fully into screen. Now, I know you would like people to jump through hoops, but I'm telling you, and your listeners as well, that film exists that should be proof enough for your parameters of an actual flying object moving, and as you said, touching Earth, this literally goes behind a hill. It was shot on 8mm video before 1980. It is on the movie footage uh, VHS if people want to look for it or look at it and it is there with seven or eight other film clips where the ship including one where the the ship comes in broad daylight within a couple hundred yards of Meyer, and two lights flash on and off on the flange and cupola of the ship and that's the film image that both Mark and Folker at Uncharted Territory said because the skeptic said they scratched that with a pin he said sorry that's not pin's scratching and that's not a model and if we were to duplicate that we go to cgi so if you really have asked for that evidence now you are beholden to look at it and you can go ahead and and criticize it. i think it's only fair
2: what you're doing i don't object to any of this okay routine. i don't think we have much more time we have about a minute left david please respond my challenge remains thank you thank you very much both of you <laughs> this has been the paracast with gene steinberg and david Bietney. And we've talked to Michael Horn, the authorized America media representative for the Billy Meyer contacts at theyfly.com. Also visit theparacast.com for more. Michael, thanks for joining us on this episode.
4: I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You're in the Paracast
0: with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next.
1: You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened At the signpost up ahead. Your next stop conspiracies and secret societies. The complete. Okay, he's gone,
2: but we're not going to say anything behind his back. No, amend that. We never did to begin with. Uh, I thought that we've always been up front about our concerns about what he says. The one thing I noticed here is that he's very good about changing the subject. Absolutely. You know, in my email exchange with Michael, I said that I would be very happy tonight to limit
0: our discussion to the specifics of the photograph that I feel I have in an absolute way, proven to be a faked image, using my reputation and my skills as an image processing expert. You know, Michael really never addressed the specifics of the image I brought up, which, as we stated, will be up on the Paracast website for our listeners to look at, so that, quite frankly, they can draw their own conclusions. I'm not interested in telling anybody what to believe, Gene. You know, we've we've said it many times, and I'll say it again. We are on this show trying to pursue. And understanding to what is going on with these paranormal episodes that humanity seems to be experiencing and has experienced for a long time we don't have any specific agenda here but to uncover the truth i feel and i feel like i've proven there are a lot of issues with the billy meyer photographs and i've taken one specific photograph and i've shown how it clearly and irref- irrefutably has been falsified Now, Michael is demanding that I do this with other images, but I really don't feel that obligation. His logical arguments are anything but logical. And uh, I think that, again, will be very obvious to our listeners. And I think that I trust that, Those people who listen to this show hopefully are intelligent enough and perceptive
2: enough to be able to come to their own conclusions. The thing that bothers me about the whole thing, David, is that every single time we pointed out the flaws in that picture, he'll say either, number one, I've got experts who say these pictures are real or how could he have faked it? Because he's just the one-armed man, and we can't say in this case the one-armed man did it like they did in the TV series and movie The Fugitive. How could he do it? And to which I respond is, who said he has to do it alone? What about his followers? That he kind of snickered at when I dropped that particular comment. Absolutely. you recall, he snickered at that. But still, we have his word for it that what happened is what he said happened, that there were 15 witnesses in this desert or in Switzerland or whatever, and Billy Meyer was there, and they heard these weird sounds, and they picked it up on the cassette recorder and it wasn't him with his analog synthesizer. I've asked for a show me a single
0: notarized statement from a witness. I don't need to see a pile of them. Show me one. Show me a single expert in photographic analysis that will take my image that I've done that clearly shows that that photograph is a fabricated image. It's a hoax image. I'm happy to submit that image to any expert that Michael Horn wants to bring to the table to the discussion, and to have them tell me that my. Analysis Analysis is incorrect. I welcome that. But you know what, Gene? Um, Bring me someone in the world besides the Photoshop engineering team and about three people I could name who know more about Photoshop than I do. i'll listen to them until that happens i completely stand by my analysis of that photograph and i submit that this falsification brings into question everything that the meyer camp puts forward as fact everything
2: and i want listeners once again to and of course the fact that you can download the show and the fact that you can listen over and over again. Listen carefully to what David says, where he spends time with a very detailed scholarly analysis of this photo, and then listen to what Michael Horn says about it. Mm -hmm. And basically, he says nothing about it because he cannot dispute it. And listen to where he changes the subject, where he goes back to another photo, where he asks questions like, well, how could he have done this if he's only one guy? He didn't know how to use a darkroom. Well, I don't know what knows how to use, but I'll tell you frankly, it doesn't take a lot of skills to take two negatives and superimpose them no, <laughs> on an enlarger that in the 1970s you could buy at any photo store. You know, I, in I, I Switzerland or any, any European country, Sure, absolutely. Sure, I had this stuff. you yes. assume that because he's from Switzerland it's a backward country and they couldn't do these things. I could do them. I did them when I was 10 years old. I could superimpose photographs. Big deal. That was in the 1960s and 50s. Mm-hmm. I grew Grew up in a dark room. My father
0: was was a professional photographer. I'm intimately familiar with the techniques of doing this. And one thing I have to say, I do resent is uh, Michael Horn trying to put words in my mouth. You know, I was very quiet, Gene. As you know, it's hard for me to just sit there and bite my tongue and listen to someone. As you can tell tonight, I did not give Michael Horn any major like you know interruptions. I let him speak his piece. But there's no way that I'm going to backtrack on anything that I've stated
2: about this case. I believe that this is a hoax. End of story. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any comments to make, pro or con, whatever it is, send your letters to news at theparacast.com. If you go to theparacast.com, and this is going to be an ongoing thing, we have a forum, a Paracast forum. In there is a message board with the label Michael Horn and the Billy Meyer Contacts, and you're welcome to insert your information there. And be nice, because we have ways of deleting those messages if you use inflammatory language. We don't need inflammatory language until the sound of it gets that way a little bit. What we want is pros and cons and if somebody else not necessarily Michael Horn but anybody feels they have real evidence to prove that the Billy Meyer case is genuine, that there's a core reality here. Well, let these witnesses step forward. Absolutely. There are all these witnesses. I welcome receiving email from them. Let them
0: authenticate who they are and let them tell us our stories directly, not through some arbitrary intermediate third party.
2: Yes, because I think at this point we can't take this on faith because there are too many con attack cases in the UFO field through the years okay starting with Georgia Damsky Dan Fry George Van Tassel and all these oh, other I forgot people. to bring up the Dan Fry thing, you know. Thank you. That's the one in, in the original interview that was the one person that Michael Horn specifically cited. I didn't even want to get into it because I think yeah. it's a little bit too much. I think it's a little bit ridiculous. Dan Fry by the way is the guy who said he was taken to New York and back in 30 minutes in a flying saucer. Right. That's it. And he had an organization called Understanding. In any case there's a lot of things we'd like to understand and we have a lot more entertaining, informative stuff coming up on The Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and
3: David biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.